Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Nachum Siegel, and this is the OU Orthodox Union presents the Jewish Reaction Program here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I want to take this opportunity to thank the OU for, uh, again, entrusting the Nachum Siegel Network to uh, go ahead and uh, spread some amazing content and to speak to incredible people and to cover wonderful topics all through this uh, brand-new Season 4 here at the Nachum Siegel Network. It's an absolute honor to be the host of this program. A big shout-out to Ellie Hagler, who did an amazing job uh, during the uh, first stint of the Jewish reaction. Uh, hopefully he'll have an opportunity to um, uh, join again at some point and uh, be the host of this program. Uh, it, it's a, Like I say, it's an honor that the uh, OU again has entrusted us to provide great co- content and to spread the word about things that are important to them and to us here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I remind you uh, that the OU has an incredible website, OU.org, with a uh, an array of resources for everything you can imagine, from kashras to public advocacy to... Um, uh, Torah, uh, to, uh, to OU Press and so much more. So you can check that out at OU.org. I remind you, we have an amazing social media, uh, presence as well. Uh, don't forget on Facebook, our Facebook update page is, uh, Nahum Siegel Network. Our, uh, presence on Instagram, Nahum Siegel Network. And on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. And, uh, we recommend the Nahum Siegel Network app, the NSN app, to listen around the world anywhere at all. It is an amazing app with great reception, thank God, <laughs> and thousands of people who are enjoying it till this point. And I am glad that we've been able to um, present that and uh, and give it to our worldwide audience who continue to enjoy it. Uh, today, the OU Jewish Reaction Show is going to take a very close look at uh, everyone's favorite topic before the holiday, and that's, of course, delicious kosher food. We have some incredible authors, wonderful chefs, great cooks, bloggers going to be joining us during this hour. And uh, this will be our lead-up during this segment to an incredible holiday next week as we wish everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. It is the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And, uh, well, it's uh, just before Rosh Hashanah, and it seems that anybody in the kosher food category becomes uh, among the most popular people out there this time of year. Naomi Ross is with us. You can check out jewishcookingconcepts.com, jewishcookingconcepts.com. Naomi Ross, welcome to the Nahum Siegel Network. Hi, how are you? Everything is great. Am I right or wrong that people in your category all of a sudden become the most popular this time of year? Yeah, it's really, um, it's definitely a, what I like to say, a double whammy for those of us in the food, uh, food industry because... You know, it's a busy enough time as it is just making um, the holidays. But on top of that, we also have, this is my busy season, uh, so to speak. I can, so. only, I can only imagine. This all began because you were sort of advising new brides how to handle their uh, daily culinary uh, stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's really amazing how life throws different opportunities at you. Um, when I was first married, living in Boston, I, I saw it sort of, as a as a need, uh, a bunch of the new brides in the community seemed very overwhelmed uh, with all their you know new kitchen responsibilities, and I I just felt like it was a community service kind of thing, and I put together a course for them, and it was it was never something I ever imagined to become like a career, and you know thank God it really just one thing led to another led to another, and it just developed and developed, and what started as a course that I had put together for them that I called Cooking for Kalas, which was like a four-week course that 
was unique in that it integ- I tried to integrate cooking and baking basics with a lot of nice homemaking tips and, and ideas, um, specifically like Jewish traditional ideas to you know, fortify them and, and give them some pride in what they were doing. And it was unique in that way in that it synthesized it all together. And then from, from there, it just sort of, ex, you know, exploded one opportunity to the next. And I've been teaching for over 12 years now. I'd have to guess you've met some former students along the way. Yeah, you know, it's, it's amazing. I never know who's going to walk through uh, the door of the kitchen I'm teaching in. I, I actually was just teaching a class this summer. I've been teaching for many years uh, recreational classes at the Center for Kosher Culinary Arts in Brooklyn, and I was teaching one of the classes this summer in Manhattan in their summer series, and in walked one of my one of my early early students from like ten years ago, and I, you know I never know who I'm going to bump into, so it's it's exciting. It certainly must be Naomi Ross is with us, JewishCookingConcepts.com. Um, obviously you've seen the leap from, you know, rookie who knows nothing to somebody who can make their way around the kitchen and, you know, put together some quality meals. What about the next leap when those same people want to start, you know, preparing for Shabbos and Yuntif and do a lot of, you know, much fancier and more volume when it comes to cooking? Is that a very big leap for them? Is it a much different educational experience of just getting the basics done? Are you? Are, do you? I, I'm not sure what you mean. You mean professionally? No. Or when you, when you, when you, you for, for the t- for the balabasta, yeah. When you have to jump from making nice meals to ex- big volume like holiday meals. Exactly. When they trained the kalas, so I would figure that you know, with the four week course, they were like, okay, I could do this. But then you know, when they started the more overwhelming stuff of trying to get into Shabbos and Yuntif meals and cooking for large crowds, is that a major leap that sometimes they're really afraid of? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was very, it's very overwhelming for, for, I think, many, many women. And I always tried, and I still try to, um, to recommend that you approach menu planning with some organization because that takes away some of the stress. Um, and I also always recommend that you plan differently for large crowds. You cook differently for large crowds and you approach it differently for large crowds. Large, um, like large crowd cooking really is different in, in, in how you, you know, how you menu plan and how you approach them cooking for a small family. Yeah, uh, that I can only imagine. It must be a completely different experience. Um, what about before Rosh Hashanah? Uh, what tips could you give our audience in terms of preparing for the big holiday, especially those who want to make a specific holiday impression? They want to, you know, cook something that's specific for the holiday or prepare something and present it so that everyone remembers that when they leave the Rosh Hashanah table, they were at a Rosh Hashanah table. Um, so what I've been doing for many years, and I always try to recommend it uh, as a special traditional Rosh Hashanah thing, you know, if I can, I try to bring in as many components of the symbolic Rosh Hashanah foods as I can. I, I'm not Sephardic, but I, I have for many years tried to embrace the tradition of almost like a Sephardic Rosh Hashanah Seder of having lots and lots of the symbolic Rosh Hashanah foods on the table and incorporating them into as many dishes as I can. Um, and and we you know make note of it and we, we call attention to it at the table. How, so ma- how many? How really many feel like they're at you know celebrating those traditions? How many of them go completely overboard? I mean those uh, holiday symbols. Like <laughs> I would guess there's a lot of honey involved in, in, in a meal like that, right? In different recipes, is there another item that you know there'd be a lot of that there'd be plenty of uh, yeah, because it's so yeah, versatile? I would say um, I, I I put pomegranate seeds into a lot of things. Um, pomegranate seeds are 
um, symbolic because they represent um, the pomegranate seeds are likened to the 613 mitzvot. Right. Um, that, that they're a, a fruit of, of plenty, so um, and a, a fruit of blessing, so to speak. So I I probably use that more than I would other times during the year, even though pomegranates have become so so popular anyway. Um, but I I try to use those a lot. Um, I probably use more dates than I would at other times during the year. Right. Um, not everybody is a date lover, so I always tell people to you know to try to put them into some lesser thought dishes than if if you don't like dates, right? So if you cook dates, they take on a whole different flavor. I try to encourage people to use them that way also. Um, other foods, um, black-eyed peas, that's another traditional one that you don't necessarily serve so much during the year. That's on the list. That's right. Um, gourd, which well, we use usually squash. Correct. Um, so we do a lot of, like, honey or maple glaze squash, that kind of thing. It's sweet. Um, and, you, you know, you don't have to use traditional bees honey. You can also use Ceylon, which is a date honey. So if you're not into dates, you can also sort of represent it that way. A lot of different options, huh? Yeah, there's, like, tons of creativity that you can do. And, you know, the more you build it into the actual menu, um, you know, the more exciting it is for your guests and the more memorable it is. Um, and you don't always have to strictly go with very heavy, like, brisket and tons of sides as the main dish. I actually have shifted over the years toward making the first course, like, more of, like, tapas-style, lots of little dishes, and then a very modest main main course of just, like, whatever meat and one or two sides, because we're already pretty full from everything else we've had. Yeah, from what you're what you're describing seems to have become a trend in a lot of places, where people are following the same type of format for the Rosh Hashanah meal. Um, I think because, you know, if you're anyway going to be eating some of these symbolic foods and you fill up on those things, why not make them that much more tasty by incorporating them into dishes? Naomi Ross is with us, jewishcookingconcepts.com. Anybody in these courses that you give that we'd be shocked they don't fit the regular profile of the uh, younger person who might be trying to cook? Have you met a lot of older people in these, in these <laughs> classes? Have you, have you met an a, uh, a, um, unusual number of men in these classes? What's the makeup of these? Yeah, it's interesting. When I started out, it was all young, you know, either newlyweds or young brides, and over the years, my audience has gotten wider and wider. I've had men at my challah baking classes. Um, I've had, um, you know, grandmothers, grandfathers. Um, I've had teenage girls, not you know, who are in high school come sometimes. It's really pretty varied. You have a whole group, huh? Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's amazing how many people are interested in learning, no matter how old they may be, and even if they don't fit into the typical stereotype of who's preparing the meals in a Jewish home. For sure, and also everyone is interested in eating good food. Right. You know, cooking has become very popular, and people want to eat well. And more than that, like if you're going to be spending the time to prepare a beautiful holiday meal for your family, so I really want my students to enjoy not just the food but also the process. And I feel like when, when I try to teach, I try to give over as much of the hows and the whys as I can because when you know what you're doing and you know why you're doing it, then it makes it much more enjoyable and meaningful. Naomi Ross, JewishCookingConcepts.com. I guess there's plenty of information on the website, right, and people can be in touch with you. 
Uh, people can be in touch with me through the website, which is actually uh, in the process of being rebuilt. So okay. stay tuned uh, in the next uh, couple of months for a brand new website, new blog, hopefully to be up within uh, the next month or two. Well, good luck with that. Now let's talk about the most important part of Rosh Hashanah, the challah and the desserts. What are you baking for this upcoming Yontif? What am I baking? I always make uh, my round challahs. Um, over the years, I change it up sometimes with raisins. Sometimes my kids request chocolate chips, which is a little sweet for my taste, but I do it to make them happy. Um, <laughs> it makes such a mess, I find. <laughs> yeah, you know. But it's I, it's worse than the raisins. Told me, you know, after he finished cleaning the chocolate off of the challah knife, <laughs> exactly. he, he said, you know, I think I've had enough of that, but... Um, but we make we make pretty good round challahs. Um, we make also, you know, I always have some babkas around, and I I like since it's the fall and it's apple season. I really like to try to make use of both the apples that are available, and also there's a very short little season that the Italian prune plums come in into season around around now wow. in the next couple of weeks, and they're ideal for making plum tarts. I wonder if I even know what those are. Have I seen those in a local they're, supermarket? They're little, they're little round, like very dark purple plums. And they're, you know, the Italian prune plums, you can pop out the pit really easily. So it makes it very easy to pit and use for baking. And they're a little tart. So they make beautiful, beautiful plum cakes, plum tarts. I try to do it a lot with, do it up a lot with fruit for my baked stuff for Shoshana. Very nice. So a lot of the desserts include fruit and, uh, you know, uh, fruit on the sweet side. Uh, yeah, for Rosh you know, everything is sweet for the month of Tishrei. Yeah, and then, you know, true. you have the rest of the year to come down off of your sugar high. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that's difficult to do, you know. You have no advice in that area. We got, yes, we, we got, I'll we, come back on your show to give advice for that. Oh, month. really? You have some pieces of advice for that? Because you've been on a roll when, I, when we started talking about cooking and baking for Yontif, but... You know, that is the other side of the issue. People who the, people... The, the truth is, the truth is that after a month of eating more sweet foods, I usually do a little bit of a detox for my family and go very savory for like the whole month following. <laughs> bread and water for a few meals, huh? <laughs> I guess bread and water, but a lot more savory vegetables. You know, yeah, I try I... to cut down on the sugar intake. I'm kidding around. That sugar intake in Tishrei could be a lot more a larger than we think. Uh, Naomi Ross, JewishCookingConcepts.com, joining us in the OU Jewish Reaction Show here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. I hope this cooking and baking season goes really well for you. Thank you. And Thank our you listeners, very much. our listeners can contact you through JewishCookingConcepts.com. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Take care and happy holidays. Thank you so much. Happy, healthy, and sweet New Year. More coming up. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Program right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Some 
Nachum Siegel, the Jewish Reaction Show, brought to you by the OU. And uh, here we are as we get ready for the brand-new year of 5776. And Pupa Dweck is with us live via telephone. You can check out the uh, website, uh, pupadweck.com. And, of course, there's plenty of uh, recipes and products, a whole bunch of stuff there that you'll find. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you. A pleasure to have you here. So uh, I, I guess I need a little bit of an orientation since I am not of a Syrian background and likely have uh, not observed Rosh Hashanah the way you have in the past. <laughs> Tell me some of the things I need to know right off the bat as the brand new year begins. Okay, so, uh, well, um, like all kitchens, all uh, Jewish kitchens all over the world, they're in an uproar. Quince <laughs> uh, is uh, on top of the list as one of the special fruits that we candy for a sweet new year from Aleppo, Syria. That was uh, one of the uh, distinguishing fruits that we use. Um, not too many, not everyone's familiar with quince. Uh, if it's not cooked, a person would say, oh, I, I don't care for it. Well, what's it, what's it, it similar to? It looks like to? a pear. Oh, okay. it, looks, it looks like a pear. And if it's eaten without being uh, baked or cooked first, then it's really very bitter and unedible. Oh, so it's cooked in a sugar syrup with cloves, and uh, it, it gives a beautiful aroma to the home. And that's one of the... Uh, different dishes that are prepared. And, of course, we have the lamb's head. So we do anything from actually putting a lamb's head on the table. We cook a delicious uh, sweet tongue, sliced tongue, the whole tongue, not just from the deli. <laughs> and uh, then there's also cow's brain, you know, the lamb, not cow's brain, lamb's brain, right. which as a young child I ate, and uh, it's really quite delicious. Today it's not as easy to uh, purchase, so we stick with the tongue. Where did you, did you grow up on that side of the world or here? Where'd you grow up? I feel like I grew up in Syria, right. but I didn't. I grew up in Brooklyn. My Both of my parents were brought up, uh, were born in Syria. I was brought up with the language, with the music, the food, the traditions. So, like, my married children tell me now, Ma, you walk and talk and act like you live in Syria. <laughs> I said, well, I kind of think that I do. And so, yes, I didn't go to Syria. I, was, I had three possible chances to go back to Aleppo, and each time it just didn't happen. In fact, I met with uh, Imad Mustafa, the uh, ambassador a few years ago, before the war started, before the spring uh, terrorism, and I was invited by the president, believe it or not. They all had my book. They all said how authentic the recipes were, uh, not just from a Jewish point of view, but as from Arabic. Uh, the ambassador's mother lived in Aleppo and looked at every recipe and said that they were exactly the way they cooked, because actually the Arabic recipes and the Jewish Arabic recipes are really uh, the same, except for the mixing of the milk and the meat. Interesting. Yeah. Pupa Dweck is with us live via telephone. So is there a way to explain? Look, you you know how seriously, or some might say how uh, how unseriously, uh, some of the people in our community take you know, the first night of Rosh Hashanah. Some, some you know, will dip an apple in honey or maybe the challah in honey. That'll be the extent of their, you know, of the traditional foods when it comes to eating on the first night 
of Rosh Hashanah. It seems to us in the Sephardic community that that whole ritual, that those customs are really an important part of the holiday. First of all, is that true, that there's a big difference depending on where people are from? And if so, why do you think it is? Okay, so, yes, the symbolic foods are very, very, very deeply connected to what is going on for the following year. It's a very Kabbalistic, the Ben Yishchai speaks about it, the, the stage from the 1800s from Baghdad. He writes that there is such a symbolic Kabbalistic meaning behind every single one of those foods. For example, the apples. You think you're just dipping apple in honey or, or sugar, which is the Sephardim, uh, the Syrian way is sugar, right. and the Ben Ishchai also stresses sugar rather than honey. It's, 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 for example, the apples, not just because they're sweet and we want a sweet new year. In Hebrew, they say that the apples are in the paradise, that we should all live to 120, that we will be filled with beautiful, beautiful apples, the fragrance of the apples, the looks of the apples. So the apples are tremendously meaningful. The pomegranate, of course it's about our merit, but uh, also the Benish Chai says that it has to be sweet. In Baghdad, all the pomegranates were sweet, but today some of the pomegranates are sour. So to the extent that when we serve the pomegranates and pray over them, we have to make sure they're sweet, and if they're not, we go to the to all costs and we add sugar, and it makes a difference. And if you're thinking about each of the symbolic foods during the holidays and during the time that you're making the blessings on them, they will definitely internalize into your soul and well-being for the for the year. And as far as the Syrian community, we are tremendously involved in what these symbolic foods mean, and the women celebrate preparing them, the trumpet board, the lubia, which are the black-eyed peas, you know, the tongue, the... uh, Also, we buy the spaghetti squash and we candy it. We will not cook with anything that has a tart, bitter, sour flavor to it because it will definitely be part of what the upcoming year will be about. You know, so, it's, yeah, we take it very seriously. It's funny what you mentioned about the apple. I never even considered that and I'm, you know, I'm up there in age and grew up in an Ashkenazic home. It was the mm-hmm. honey, it was the honey that was the key, you know, is it challah and honey apple? I didn't I don't think we ever even, you know, thought about the significance of having an apple and the whole Ghanaian reference, frankly. Uh, I yes. think I think yes. yes. That's very important. How many total see my name? How many total do you think are at your table? It varies in different homes. It could go anywhere from 12 to 30. You've seen 30? People, oh yeah, <laughs> easily. Easily, you think about it, all the, you know, the married children with their children, and then we always like to have guests that don't have families to go to, either because they're out of town, or there isn't a connection, or they're, you know, looking for some inspiration. Unbelievable. And also, it's just wonderful because what happens during Rosh Hashanah is it's a change of season. So it's so reminiscent of what went on in Aleppo because, it, we, you know, my mother and my grandmother and my great-grandmother, we're, we're always harvesting and preserving and 
pickling and preparing, and everything is in such abundance now. The zucchini, the eggplant, you know, the pumpkin, the squash. So even though there was like a little, little window of time where we stopped, there was a generation that went to the supermarket for their tomatoes. We're going back the trend to so many all over the United States is to go back to the local farmer's market, is to go back to the farms, is to cook seasonally. And this is something we always did. And it, it's a, to us, it's a celebration of uh, enjoying, uh, you know, the bounty. Boy, the holiday comes at a good time of year, huh? Yes, that's that's my point. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, exactly. I got the point. Pupa Dweck is with us via telephone. How's the book doing, the book that you released, Recipes from Aleppo? My my book, Aromas of Aleppo... Uh, excuse is, me, Aromas of Aleppo, I apologize. Yeah, the Aromas of Aleppo is just... Uh, we're all flabbergasted. It is still going so strong and is such a guide for so many people. They can't do without it. In fact, this morning at the Jewish uh, Community Center in Deal, New Jersey, I just finished an event where we uh, did some demonstrations and I get emails from literally all over the world, not just from the Jewish community, but from uh, the Muslim community, the Arab Christian community, Ashkenaz community, all over the world. And they, every recipe is perfect. Everything is authentic. And uh, it, it's really very, very encouraging because a cookbook, I was told, doesn't get this, stay this popular and number one for so long. But I guess, you know, the holidays come and you need a go-to book. Yeah. I mean, you, you may have just answered the question, but I'm wondering what the formula was to put together something that would shoot to, you know, the top of the list. I mean, it, is, is it very okay. practical? Is it very easy? Is it good? Okay, for, is, I'll tell you. When I was writing this book, I kept saying, I need these recipes so my grandchildren and, God willing, my great-grandchildren will have the authentic recipes documented. I and I want them to be easy so a 10-year-old could prepare them. And thank God that I succeeded in that part. Right. The second part was that I knew that if under the covers of a cookbook, if I explain the holidays and the musara of the holidays, and I inspired women uh, and and for the holidays to cook and not think it's a rudimentary act and I can get it into the cookbook because then when Sukkot comes now, or like Yom Kippur and all these holidays, they're not going to get a regular book to find out what it's about. But if it's in the cookbook, they will see, oh, Rosh Hashanah, that's why we eat the lamb head. That's why we have Swiss chard. That's why we have the leeks we need to cut off. They're not going... And I did succeed because it ended up being, in fact, when one of my daughters had a baby boy many years ago, she called me up and said, Ma, I have to do the Zohar, which is a special prayers uh, the night before the Brittany lost right. the baby. Right. What it's all about? What do I have to serve? Why do we have the Zohar? I said, look in the book. Of course, I explained it to her, but it's the same thing. Hanukkah comes and all these holidays. So I actually used the book as a vehicle. I use the recipe as a vehicle to draw more in enlightenment into the history, the heritage, and the musar of our community, and also to encourage other communities, other from Poland, from Bulgaria, from India, 
whether you're Jewish or not, to know that you have roots that are very, very valuable. And they're not just to feed your family with delicious food, but it's to define who you are, to bring you to your culture, to connect you to your family, to give you that self-conscious confidence. They always ask, how come uh, the, the Syrian children and the Syrian, even the grown-ups, have this inner self-confidence? It's because we know where we came from, where we were, and what we were about. Wow. And That's if a... you read the beginning of my book, you will see the different sages and rabbis, Maimonides, raved about Aleppo at his time and said it was the, the shining light of the whole world at that time. So, yeah. A very important point, knowing where you came from and how that helps in terms of not just in, in terms of cooking, but in terms of life itself. Is there something you'd cook for Sukkot that you would not cook the rest of the year, again, because it's Tishrei and you want things to be sweeter? Is there a recipe or some type of item you could tell us that would make it into your Sukkah but probably wouldn't make it to a different Yuntif table around the year? Well, during Sukkot, uh, like we'll go back to the quince, I make a delicious uh, stuffed lamb quince with tamarind. So uh, it's a recipe. You take the quince, you boil them, and then you hash them. It's like an apple. And then you stuff it with a, uh, a meat and pine nut filling, and then it's cooked with tamarind. So that's one of the specialties with the court, because like we said, it's seasonal. All of a sudden now, everybody's like trending with seasonal, local, organic, but we were always there. You know, the, uh, the Aleppian community <laughs> was always in that realm. At the forefront. And what about the products that you have on your website? Those are original ha homemade products, right? I can them myself. This year, I'm not offering them okay. because I'm writing another book. I, in fact, I have to say that on the website. I am in the middle or towards the end of another book, which will have more of the authentic recipes and more of lifestyles and understanding if food brings us way more to just satisfied palates and nourished bodies. It brings us to, you know, elevating our homes and bringing our families together and and connecting. So uh, and how to live our lives so we could be more balanced, so we can get to a higher place. So my next book is absolutely taking me over. Uh, well, that's good to hear, and I'm sure you're excited about it. Uh, let me ask you this as we wrap things up. How would I wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year if I was in Aleppo? Oh, <laughs> oh just, uh, you know, happy holiday and a sweet and healthy new year. <laughs> that's it, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Poop com has all the And I wish you that. I thank you, and a happy, healthy, and sweet new year to you. Okay, thank you. Go to Poopa Thank you. Pupadweck.com, Authentic Syrian Cuisine. You can check out the book that we discussed. Her uh, first book is entitled Aromas of Aleppo. And as you heard, she's working on a second one. More coming up. My name is Nahum Siegel. The OU presentation of the Jewish Reaction Show happens right here weekly at the Nahum Siegel Network.
Well, it's no secret if you listen to JM and the AM that uh, our next guest here at the OU Jewish Reaction Program is uh, one of my favorites. Jeff Morgan is with us live from uh, California. He's, of course, co-author with his wife Jody of the Covenant Kitchen, food and wine for the new Jewish table. Jeff, happy, healthy, sweet New Year. Welcome back to the Nachum Siegel Network. Oh, thanks, Nachum, and thanks for being so flexible and, and waiting for me to get my grapes pressed this morning. Well, you know, it's funny, because we joked here in the studio, you're probably late because you're picking grapes, but then you told me there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, actually, we didn't pick any grapes this morning, but I've been coordinating the pick of so many grapes in the last 10 days, that, um, and then we, we had a little problem with one of our irrigators. An irrigator is something that gets the the juice to go evenly over the cap of, of grape skins and the tanks. And all of a sudden I, I realized, uh-oh, something's going on. And, and I ran into my office and realized that, yeah, I better look at my calendar and, and call in, even though it was it was late. Well, I'm glad you looked. I apologize. Uh, what is it about this week? Am I right that the I, I don't know if it's this week, this month. Explain it. Is it the first week of September that, that traditionally is a very heavy week in this business? <laughs> well, actually... You never know. Uh, it, it's basically if the Chagim are coming, yeah. you know that it's going to be really busy in the vineyards and the winery because somehow Hashem created a situation that is almost impossible to work through, but we manage to every year um, regardless. And as you can hear, there are helicopters and airplanes over the winery right now also, just making my life even more complicated because I can barely hear you or yeah. myself. Yeah, I don't know what those are all about. I can't well, take responsibility for that. Well, but but anyway, it's 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 the good news is that it's the weather is perfect and um, you know everything's just ripening kind of early this year and so you know we brought in Chardonnay, uh, we brought in uh, uh, brought in Zinfandel, we brought in Pinot Noir, we brought in all sorts of grapes that usually come in a little later. Um, and they just seem to be coming in now. And I, you know, we don't know why. Nobody knows why, but it's possibly the earliest harvest on record. Jeff Morgan is with us, the Covenant Kitchen Food and Wine uh, for the New Jewish Table. We had a chance to discuss with him his wines at different times uh, here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Uh, you, you'd, you just named a bunch of grapes. Um, are there those that you're most concerned about? Because you have, you know, you have a couple of really exclusive you know, extra nice wines? Do those grapes worry you more than the others, or they all worry you just the same? Well, I wouldn't say any of them worry me. They all um, are very special to me. And regardless of whether we're making a $20 wine or a $150 wine, the goal here is to make the best wine we can, because our mission is to make great kosher wine. And 
there's no substitute for the best. So yeah. every wine we treat uh, with the same attention to detail. And uh, really the, what's most important is picking the grapes at the ultimate ripeness, making sure we bring those grapes into the winery so that we can ferment these perfectly ripe grapes into the most perfect expression of uh, Yayan Cachet that we can. All right. You're, uh, we know and we've discussed how the OU, and of course, this is, you know, this is the OU program, Jewish Reaction. They had a, they had a role in the book, in the Covenant Kitchen. And why did you feel it was important? Because not every cookbook does this. Not every cookbook is a, you know, an education book outside of cooking. Why did you feel it was important to include their input and some of what their rabbis and personnel had to say about kosher food in general in the book? Well, you know, we've worked with the OU since we started making Covenant Wines, which was back in 2003. So uh, I have a, a long-standing relationship with them. And uh, they've always been very supportive, in not only in, in uh, what we do, but um, also been critical in making sure that, um, you know, that we have all the uh, rules of, uh, of Kashrut uh, obeyed in the winery. Right, understood. And uh, when we wrote The Covenant Kitchen, which is a book about eating and drinking in, uh, with a Jewish lifestyle, I wanted to make sure that even though we think we know what we're doing, um, certainly in the wine department, uh, we wanted to make sure that in the food department, all our recipes, everything that we were cooking was vetted kashrut uh, by the OU to make sure that you know, we had a, a foolproof, bulletproof, kashrut-proof uh, uh, tome that everybody could read with full confidence. You have a holiday menu chapter. Is Rosh Hashanah prominent in that one? Well, it's prominent, uh, yeah, it's at the top of page 250. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, uh, we have, you know, recipes for Rosh Hashanah, we have the Yom Kippur breakfast, we have Sukkot, so we have, we have menus that are suggested, you know, dishes for, for these, for these Chagim. And, um, you know, uh, it can be something as simple as, you know, just cured olives with, uh, lemon zest and thyme. I mean, it's very, it's nice to have something to nosh on. But uh, for Rosh Hashanah, we'll be enjoying brisket with juniper berries. Oh, and, that um, sounds good. Juniper berries are fantastic. You can't have them at Pesach because they're kitniot. Right. But uh, but for Rosh Hashanah, they give uh, the brisket a really special little taste. If you if you like gin, also juniper is what gives gin its special taste. Jeff, what is the perfect wine for that? Uh, the perfect wine for brisket would be anything red. Right. It could go Pinot Noir, Zinfandel, Cabernet, Merlot, Syrah, you name it. And I you, mean, and brisket you, screams for red wine. And you, got red wine. and you got plenty of that, right? We do, and we <laughs> hope that you do too. So. <laughs> the Covenant Kitchen, food and wine for the new Jewish table. The, uh, have you had a reaction to this book they didn't expect? In other words, you know, obviously it's got its fans out there, and there are people both from the Kashrus angle in terms of the education you give, and of course you've introduced a lot of recipes that have not been traditional ones in our community, so that gets a reaction. But have you gotten any reaction that you didn't expect to get once the book was released? Well, uh, reactions that I didn't expect, uh, no, but I think people are surprised at how we've integrated wine into the cooking and eating aspect of Jewish life. Oh, and, interesting. You no, know, wine is very important to all of us, uh, obviously, but um, but we really... Uh, have tried to make sure that every dish uh, is paired with uh, suitable or interesting or exciting wines. 
And um, the book is really trying to help inspire all of us uh, with the knowledge you need to enjoy a great meal with a great wine. And again, it's not about expensive. It's about wines that will enhance what's on your plate. Right. And that's what the book is really about. It's, it's not just about how to cook the dishes that we enjoy the most, but it's about how to enhance them, highlight them with something really great in your wine glass that yeah. would be appropriate. You want something paired with that, uh, with that dish, no matter what it is. It could be fish, meat, vegetables, etc. You want something paired with it that people will enjoy. And, and, and the, uh, the, the trend is, even in the kosher world, as you know, that more and more people are looking for advice in that area. I don't know if 10, 15 years ago they would have taken this type of book as seriously. But now this, is, this seems to be what everyone's into, which is you know drinking the right combination with, uh, with whatever they're having for the main dish. Absolutely. I mean, if you go into a kosher restaurant today, you know, people are actually drinking wine and ordering off the wine list, I which know. 10, 15 years ago, nobody was even paying attention to. I know. It's unbelievable. Any different out there uh, than compared to the East Coast? Is it a... Did they catch on faster in the area where you live, or everyone's? To tell you the truth, um, uh, I think they've caught on faster in terms of the wine, but not in terms of the wine and food. I think uh, on the East Coast, you got more Jews. Right. Uh, maybe not no, in L.A. You got a lot of us, but uh, but you know, in the New York, New Jersey area, uh, I think there's just. Uh, there's more activity. There's more experimentation with uh, eating and drinking, and certainly a lot more kosher restaurants, which. Um, it makes it uh, more exciting on and that we, level. And we've been discussing this topic for the last 20, 25 years in terms of the direction that kosher wine is going in. And obviously, it's been uh, there have been a couple of explosions in this whole industry over the last couple of decades. And we're enjoying one, I think you'd say, right now. How far do you think this will go? I mean, are we going to reach a time where the Jewish community is looked upon basically as any other community when it comes to enjoying wine with a meal? Well, um, Certainly. I mean, it's, I think we're already there. I mean, it's, uh, most, I mean, most of the people that I know who, uh, in the Jewish community, whether it's here or on the East Coast or in the middle somewhere, are, they're all thinking about what are we going to drink with this, with this dinner. I mean, uh, maybe they're not drinking with lunch yet. That's one of my goals to get everybody <laughs> drinking in moderation, of course, for <laughs> with lunch. I mean, you can't imagine how good, you know, the right wine is with a corned beef sandwich. But, um, but I think uh, back to, you know, whether we've, you know, come a long way. And uh, somebody called me yesterday. My, my, my distributor in, in uh, Los Angeles said that so-and-so from some wine shop who has a wine club wanted to buy Covenant for her wine club offering. Right. And, of course, would I give her a deal? Of course. That's, yeah. And I said, well, what's with the wine club? And, you know, it's, 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 it's Rosh Hashanah. I mean, it's, it's coming up soon. She better hurry up and, and, and order. And my, my distributor said, no, no, it's not about Rosh Hashanah. It's not even about kosher. She loves your wine, and she wants to buy six cases of it for her wine club because she wants a big, beautiful Cabernet from it, Napa Valley. Isn't it funny how immediately you think it's that holiday deadline? Yeah. And I said, Wow. <laughs> Okay, I haven't figured out what the deal is yet, but <laughs> I, but I was very I was I was not only impressed, but I was, you know, I felt um, uh, I felt that we were, we must be doing something right because uh, that's what I want. I want our wines to be recognized as great as well as great kosher, uh, and uh, that's kind of the goal. And it looks like we're slowly but surely getting there. He's speaking to us from Covenant out in California. He's co-author with Jody of the Covenant Kitchen, Food and Wine for the New Jewish Table. Jeff and Jody Morgan wrote it. Any more books and future plans, Jeff? 
Uh, yeah, I got one in the I got one in the back of my head uh, that might have something to do with the wines that we're now making in Israel as well. So wow. I'll keep you posted on that. And does that have a name? The wine from Israel? That's still a secret. Uh, no, the wine from Israel is called Covenant Israel. <laughs> Simple as that, huh? Yeah. I want to take this opportunity to wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. We hope to see. Oh, speaking of biz, seeing you out in California, uh, your vi- your vineyard, your uh, winery, open to the public? Not open to the public? Yes, absolutely. Our winery is open to the public. We just uh, need you to call us or email us or whatever at co- just go to covenantwines.com. www.covenantwines.com. You'll find all our contact info, and uh, anyone is invited to come visit us. We'd love to show you around the winery and give you a taste of what we do here. Jeff, happy and healthy and sweet New Year. Thanks for joining us. The same to you, Nachum. Thanks for having me on the show. There is Jeff Morgan from Covenant. You're listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Program, and this is the Nachum Siegel Network. Shemenu karat 
What an honor to present the uh, inaugural edition of the OU Jewish Reaction Show for this season, season four here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I guess the 5776 season is the way we should uh, put it. And uh, it is a great honor to present it. Don't forget the OU has an incredible website. Check it out, OU.org, with resources for everything, whether it comes to Kashrus, whether it comes to a Torah Thoughts, OU Press, uh, OU Public Advocacy, which has been so vital and important uh, during this uh, period of time, as we now speak to you in September of 2015, and so much more. Check out OU.org. Check out our uh, social media presence on Facebook, Nachum Siegel Network, on Twitter at Nachum Siegel Net, on uh, Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network, and enjoy everything that we have to offer with the Nachum Siegel Network app for your iPhone and Android, the NSN app, an amazing way to stay in touch. Uh, all around the world and uh, all through the day and night with the comments section on the home page, the home screen of our NSN app. You have been listening to the OU Jewish Reaction Program here at the Nahum Siegel Network, wishing everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet 
new year. My name is Nachum Siegel. Thanks for listening.